Hey everyone, welcome to City Church OTR's Sermons Podcast. Here you will find all of the sermons and teachings that are given at our Sunday services. We also have our original City Church OTR podcast, which has more conversations, interviews, and more interactive content. As always, we would love to meet you. Check out our Instagram to see what we're doing this week and our website, citychurchotr.com, to meet one of our pastors. Enjoy. song left and I wasn't finished crying. Uh, sorry, I haven't even said anything yet. There's a, this isn't how I thought I'd start off, but this is true. Uh, there's this passage in Revelation that I get a picture of, and if you're not a Christian here, um, this is a weird way to come into church. There's a passage in, I think it's Revelation 5, where it's picturing uh, the saints that are surrounding the throne, and every time we sing that tag, and they will never sing it again before I preach, um, because <laughs> this is weird, and we're probably live streaming, and, uh, but it's true. It's, uh, it's true that eventually, we know how this whole thing ends, and uh, there's saints, there's people that are surrounding, and they look like every um, age, color, uh, diversity in every way, and they're surrounding the throne, and we know that at the end, all the earth will sing his praise. And, uh, and it's a cool way um, for us to get started this morning. So if this is your first time, it's actually our, just our third week. And uh, there's probably some bets going on between Tyler and I who would cry first. So I win. <laughs> and uh, I think I might have been the underdog too, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, if you don't know where you are or if uh, you've been drugged here by somebody, you're at City Church OTR. Uh, we are a brand new church. Uh, just in preview services, uh, we are planning on having a more full launch later, but this is our third week ever meeting, which is crazy. And uh, we've already met in two locations because we really believe in being all things to all of OTR. Uh, next week, we know we'll be back at the transept, but um, we are a church who, as, as Abby said at the beginning and Mandy kind of reiterated, we're a church that loves the presence of God. We really, really believe that without the presence of God, without inviting him into our spaces, into the way that we both hear the word, that we worship, that uh, it's just kind of religious and it's kind of dry. And, uh, and that's not what we're after. We really want to both hear from the word, but also from the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and one of the big ways we see this happening is, and you probably heard it, uh, if you've been around here at all, but we're a church with two front doors. And so we really, really believe that what happens on Sunday morning is great, but it's only half of what we're called to. Uh, so much of what should be happening is not just in a row, but it's in someone's living room, eating a meal. And, uh, and my, we, we've had house groups going on now for two weeks. And I can tell you last week, just the second week that our group has met, it was 10 people that most of whom did not know each other uh, more than two weeks ago. Uh, group ended at 8.30, we kicked the last person out at 10.15, which on one hand is like, get out. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. On the other hand, it's like, what the heck? Like, how do 10 random people end up hanging out two hours past a group, and there's something really special happening, not just on a Sunday morning in this kind of space, but in living rooms all across this urban core of Cincinnati on Monday and Tuesday and Thursday night. And so you've already met Mandy, you know who I am, uh, you know who Tyler is, come find one of us. If you haven't experienced the other half of what we would say uh, City Church OTR is, we really, really encourage you uh, to not just do this thing on Sunday morning as we're getting rolling, 
but there's something really special that's happening uh, in living rooms all across kind of this uh, area of Cincinnati. And, uh, and so today we are going to start really kind of our first message series. Um, Tyler and I for the last two weeks have been going through our four values of the church, but we're going to start today uh, the book of Philippians. And, uh, and so Philippians was a letter written by Paul. If you've been around church, you've heard of Paul, but he planted churches and then a lot of the New Testament is him writing back to them. And so he planted a church in Philippi, which is a city in Greece. He planted a church in Philippi in like 52 AD, give or take, but he wrote this letter in like 62 AD, so about 10 years later, and he's writing back to them. And one of the unique things about the book of Philippians, because we're just going to do a little bit of an intro uh, at first, one of the unique things is there's not a real strong rebuke, at least not at the beginning. And a lot of Paul's letters, he's writing to correct something. This letter, he's writing as more of a joy and an encouragement, and hey, I want you to persevere through suffering. And there's a reason that he does that, and we're going to dig into that in a second. But he writes this because he wants to encourage a church. And I don't think, and part of the reason why we felt like this would be a good first book for us is there's some things going on in like 62 AD that are a little bit similar to 2020 here. There's also similarities in Paul writing to a new church, or we even get to see how the church was planted. Uh, and we are a brand new church, and we thought this would be fun. Um, and so a couple fun facts, and this is gonna add nothing to your life except potentially like good trivia knowledge. This is the first church that was ever planted in Europe, okay? And this was named after Alex the, uh, Alexander the Great's father, whose name was Philip. Philip. Yeah, it's, it's easier than you think, yeah. <laughs> so take that, Trebek. All right, uh, so if we're going to start a series in Philippians, a good chapter of the Bible to start in would be Acts 16. Very good. So we're going to go to Acts 16. And, uh, and I'll do this a lot. I love getting into the context before we get into the, the passage. And so I'll say this a lot. If you're around uh, more than just this week, uh, you'll hear me say relevance is coming. And so relevance is coming. Uh, but first, we've got to do a little bit of background. Before we even read the first verse of Philippians, we get our unique picture in the book of Acts, especially Acts 16. And we don't get this with all the other churches that Paul planted. But we get a, a, an actual sight into how it was planted. So we're going to go back to 52 A.D., Acts 16, Paul's been trying to plant churches in Asia. It's not working. He has a dream, and he gets called into Macedonia, which is Europe. And, uh, and we see actually how this first little church is planted. And I think it's important because when we read Philippians and we hear Paul's love for them, we actually get to see faces or at least names and backstories of who he's writing to. So Acts 16, Paul, uh, well, start in verse 14. He goes to the river, and uh, he's trying to find anybody that has any kind of religious context. There's no synagogue there, so that's where he normally goes. So he goes to the river, and it says one of those listening, as he was preaching the gospel, one of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth, uh, which would have meant that she would have had a lot of money. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart and responded to Paul's message. And we read in verse 15, everybody, they all go back, and her whole household is baptized. And the church began. And so it says that Lydia is a worshiper of God, which in 2020 language would be like saying I'm spiritual. Um, it's a really common thing to say right now. But Lydia and even Paul knew being spiritual or being a worshiper of God wasn't enough. And there was something intellectually that in this moment, Lydia said, okay, I've had this context of faith. I've been kind of like trying to be a good person, but I want to go all in for whatever that guy's saying. 
And, and so there's a big difference, and maybe you've seen this, maybe you're in this, but there is a big difference between saying, I'm just a worshiper of God, or I'm spiritual, than being a real, true follower of Jesus. And Paul starts to explain a little bit what that looks like. And, and so uh, she's saved. This is a wealthy lady, potentially uh, older, potentially single, actually, a single older lady that gets uh, baptized in her whole household, so a lot of the people that worked with her. And then Paul and Silas, so his kind of ministry partner, they go into the city of Philippi, and, uh, and they start just moving around the city. And uh, wouldn't you know it, a demonized, so like a demon-possessed, uh, poor slave girl that could like tell the future. So again, stick with me. Uh, she starts like following them around and badgering them. And, uh, and we've all been there, right? Where you just have a like slave girl demonized that can tell the future badgering you. And I don't know if it's a moment of like real spirituality, but it says in verse 18, she kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed, which is encouraging to me because I become annoyed. Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. So that's good news, right? Except for the slave owner who had made a lot of money off of this fortune-telling little girl and, uh, and starts to say, okay, well, I've lost my income. These guys, and this was a very atheistic city, these guys, these are religious guys. I'm going to accuse them of a bunch of things. Paul and Silas, for freeing a young girl that was demonized, now get thrown into jail. And so a uh, rough start to their church planting experience. I thought a pandemic was hard, but this seems worse. And, uh, and so they get thrown into jail, and they did what you and I would do if we were thrown into jail for being falsely accused. They complained. Oh, wait, no, that's not it. That's what I would do. They actually start to worship. It says that at midnight, so it's the middle of the night, Paul and Silas start to worship, and, uh, and God sends an earthquake, but like not your normal kind of earthquake, the earthquake that just opens up the prison doors and then takes off like their shackles. And so we read that the jailer, the guy that was keeping watch over them, he sees that the door is open, and so of course they've escaped, and he decides that he, he's going to take his own life. And, uh, and the reason is because if you fail Rome, he's an, a, an employee of Rome, then they're going to take it for you, and he decides I want it to be on my own terms. And so as he's about to take his own life, Paul says, hold on, hold on, we're still here. We haven't left, we're, we're still sitting here, we're still kind of in the middle of this place, we haven't left. And the jailer in verse now 29, he called for the lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And so we read later on that they now go back to this guy's house and his whole household uh, gets baptized. And that's the church. So when we read Philippians, we actually know some of the people. These are the three early church members um, that, that started in Philippians and their families and their households. This is the church. These are the people, a, a rich older lady, a young slave girl, and a, a prison keeper and his family. These are the people that Paul wrote to. And, uh, and I want to make a point, because it's big right now, diversity has actually been in the church a lot longer than it's been a value of society. And it should continue to be a huge value of the church. This isn't something that culture is just like preaching and now as the church we've got to be like, oh, I guess we should get on board with that. This was as diverse as you could get in this city. These were both different religious contexts. These were different races. I mean, you have a lady from Thyatira, which was not in Philippi, who was a Roman guard jailer. You have different ages. You have really, really different income. I mean, you have a, a rich old lady, probably a blue-collar man, and then a poor slave girl. You have different ages, 
uh, and different marital statuses. So this was as diverse as you could come. And Paul starts a church like that. I think that that's so significant and so strategic. It's so strategic for the way that he would do that because he wanted to start a church at the very beginning. And these are the people he starts with. So when Paul writes things in the beginning of Philippians, and we're going to read a couple of those verses, but when he writes things like, how I long for you with the affection of Christ, these are the people that he's talking to. Or in verse 3 he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. These are the people, and probably more, but these are the people that he had in mind. Paul was so strategic, but he had such love for this diverse, dedicated group of people that ended up starting a church that's still going at least 10 years later. It's also good to notice uh, a little bit, and then we will get to Philippians, I promise. But it's good to notice even how this church started. And so you have one lady who was intellectually convinced. So Paul shared the gospel. She had a context of faith, and she said, that's it. That's the thing that I've been waiting for. You have one girl who had no faith context, actually was possessed with, by a demon. But as soon as she gets free, as soon as she sees like a sign or a wonder or some kind of miracle that actually literally happened in her own body, she said, okay, I don't know what the message is, but that's the guy. That message, that Jesus that he just spoke about, that's the one that I want to follow. And so there's both a message element, there's a miracle element. But I love the jailer thing. And that maybe this is where we feel most called to land in this whole letter of Philippians. Because the jailer probably knew about the message, because he was keeping watch over Paul, so he knew why he was there. He probably had heard that there was some like element of a miracle. And neither of those had convinced him. But it was actually the integrity of Paul. Where Paul could have been free, he could have actually ran out of the jail cell that opened up. Paul said, no, no, we're going to stay here because I care more about that jailer than I do about my freedom. And there was some element of integrity that was so attractive, actually, to the jailer that the message or the miracle hadn't quite gotten to yet. And so it was actually the way Paul lived that was convincing to the jailer more than even a message or a miracle. And, uh, and the big thing I think we would want to say this whole series and maybe even for the rest of the time that we get to lead this church is, uh, is Paul was living open-handed. And so what does it look like for us to live open-handed? So it's this big idea. It's what we're calling this sermon series where Paul said, look, I could take that, but I'm going to do this because this is better for the jailer. This is better for the kingdom of God. Paul was living open-handed. And so the question, and this is in your notes, the big question I would want to ask every week for the next four weeks and probably longer is what are we willing to do or how are we willing to live open-handed? What preferences uh, does society give us? Does our own wealth or our own freedom give us that we don't have to take for the sake of the, of the kingdom of God? What are the ways that we can just start to slowly open and lay down the preferences that we have for the sake of who he is? And, uh, and if you're not a follower of Jesus, uh, this is maybe sounds like a little intense. This is probably a great uh, message or a great sermon series for you to come to because uh, we sometimes, as Christians, have misled you that it's just about being here on a Sunday. And uh, it's so much more than that. Following Jesus costs so much more, but it's free. It's, it's going to cost you certain things. It's going to cost certain freedoms. It's going to be a little bit more than just showing up at a theater. But following Jesus is good. It's worth it. It's so sweet. And I promise you will never, never regret that because he is so, so good. So let's go to Philippians.
Um, how's that for an intro? <laughs> Cancel your lunch plans. This is going to be long. <laughs> I'm kidding. We're going to mostly focus on the second half of Philippians 1, but I do want to read verses 1 and 2. So this is the very opening. We know who Paul's writing to. Uh, and Timothy, he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And grace and peace to you. Okay, that's a common intro that Paul does in almost all of his letters, but he does it strategically. And again, he's reiterating the fact that he kind of highlighted 10 years before. Grace was a really common way that you greeted Greek people. So grace to you was like a common Greek phrase at the time, uh, but peace to you was a really big like Jewish thing, and Paul was kind of living in the Roman and the Jewish world, and so you would say peace if you were Jewish, but you would say grace if you were Greek, and Paul says, no, this is actually to all God's holy people, grace and peace. Grace to you, Jews, and peace to you, Greeks. It's both and, and so Paul, and this is in your notes, Paul never wastes an opportunity to promote unity in a community. I'm so sorry, I shouldn't have done that. Paul never wastes an opportunity to promote unity. So even right off the bat, and we're in verse 2, and there's already so much popping out of this that has context and depth. I just love the Bible. I think there's so much here that is already communicating Paul's message and his heart for people, and we've just made it to verse 2. I know no one has a paper Bible, but hold up your phone and say this with me. I love my Bible. You guys sound like a cult. (laughs) We'll stop that. But it's amazing how much there is just in a couple verses of a New Testament letter that actually points to something so much more. And and I love it because you can read this book and you can get something out of it right off the bat without knowing anything. And you can study it for a lifetime and you're still discovering things like grace and peace. I had no idea. And and so we're going to skip now and we're going to skip a couple key verses, but it'd be great to read it on your own. I want to go basically to 12, verse 12 till the end of the chapter. And, And Paul's writing this from prison or most likely actually house arrest. So he's in Rome um, under house arrest waiting for his trial. And he says, now I want you to know this, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. And so he's on house arrest, and, uh, and again, I would, and maybe I'm just less spiritual than you, but I would see this as a big opposition to like my church planting or my ministry endeavor. And Paul's saying, actually, no, it's, it's quite the opportunity for me. I mean, he's like living so open-handed. He's saying, this isn't just an opposition. This, I, and he literally has a captive audience. He most likely was being chained to another jailer 24-7. And you would say, this is opposition. I would say, certainly this is opposition to what it means to start churches and do ministry. And Paul says, like, this is such an opportunity. Paul had mastered, and this is years after he becomes a follower of Jesus, so it's not right off the bat, but Paul had mastered this this practice of opening his hands more and saying, okay, God, what what are you doing now? This doesn't look like the thing I wanted it to look like, but I'm open to what you're doing. I'm open to the things that you're asking. Paul was absolutely a master at living open-handed. And, uh, and we probably feel this some. Um, have you ever felt like your job is your prison? You ever felt like that? Or you're being a student? Raise your hands up. Post this on LinkedIn. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> we, I mean, we, but it's true. We like sometimes feel like our job or the place, the sphere that we've been called to is a prison. And Paul's like, no, no, no. This is where the real missionary work begins. 
This is where the real ministry actually can infiltrate those places. And this is rhetorical, but do you think that Paul could better reach prison guards as a prisoner or as a free man roaming the streets? As a prisoner. Like, of course, and he's looking at this and he's saying, well, I thought I was going to go plant this kind of thing, but actually there seems to be some real influence as I'm here. And, and there's this false thing, maybe in the church, maybe in some churches, certainly not here, because uh, we really, really believe in this, but we don't think that being a pastor is the highest call of following Jesus. Being a marketplace missionary is the thing that we feel like everybody is called to. I mean, we have students, we have self-employed people that are always interacting, we have people that work at P&G, we have people that go into an office every day or are remote working, and so there is not a higher standard of like, okay, well, as soon as you get to a certain level, then it's all about working for a church. We need more marketplace missionaries. We need more people that are going into the places that, I mean, imagine if I walked into your sphere of influence, your photography client or your office, who would have a better chance of building trust with them? Me, a random guy that says he's a pastor, or you who you've worked with them for years? Of course, it's you. And so it's this idea, and I think it's been a lie of the enemy of like, well, man, everyone needs to just be in vocational full-time ministry, and it's great, and I love it, and I'm three weeks in, and I'm so thankful to be back, but it's not the highest call. The highest call is Paul saying, no, no, we're going to go into those dark places, and we're going to bring the gospel there. And uh, for the last two years, you know, we've been working on planting this church, but I actually have gotten to live this out. I've been uh, working, and it's hilarious, because... I barely know how to use a hammer, but I've been working for a construction company, <laughs> and uh, I know how to use a hammer now, at least they've taught me, but I, I'm doing project management stuff where I'm like ordering the stuff and scheduling, and uh, hilarious that I'm there, and it's, it's amazing. I have loved, 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 loved working with the blue collar industry, because I'm like one of three guys there that went to college. Everybody else is blue collar, and they're amazing. And I know sometimes we as educated millennials, if that's you, feel a little bit better than other people, but honestly, guys, they're awesome. And I can hear, if I really listen closely, I can hear them laughing at us, at all of our student debt as they make like $40 an hour doing a trade. <laughs> Who's the real smart one now? And, and as I've worked with these guys, I've met a lot of characters, none more character worthy than our plumber named Scott, and he's everything you're imagining, and more. And, uh, and Scott is loud, he's often angry, he has such a good heart, but when I first met Scott, and it's my job to order water heaters, uh, Scott thought I ordered too many, and he let me know it, like month two or three of working on the job, and he strung words together that you could not imagine. I mean, he's got a true plumber's language um, that I just had no idea you could put these things, and he starts yelling at me in front of all these people, saying, I ordered too many water heaters, and he's going to have to carry them, and I was like, Scott, I'll carry them for you. He, I think, just wanted to be mad, but he said some things to me that were incredibly difficult to hear, and that was like a, a year and a half ago, and um, about a month ago, Catherine and I owned a couple rental houses, and one of the dishwashers went out, and, uh, and I knew that dishwashers take like a month because of COVID to get in, and I'm like, this is going to really stink for us. It's going to really stink for them. And, um, and Scott kind of heard, overheard this thought process, and he knew that we had to replace it. And he said, hey, buddy, big, burly plumber, he said, hey, buddy, why don't you just take one of the dishwashers from the, from the company and pay for it? And I did. He said, why don't you just take one of those? I'll just install it for you. I'll just take care of it. And then you can get it done tonight. The same man that strung together words that I've never heard before said, hey, we can just take care of this with us. Now, 
a year and a half of not just like prayer meetings between Scott and I, but a year and a half of being nice to Scott, simply just being nice or praying with him or talking about my faith or caring about what's going on in his life has led from water heater incident to let me fix this problem for you just because I care for you. And there are so many opportunities, and I'm not great at this, but I got it right with Scott. There are so many opportunities that we can say, no, 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 we want to take Jesus into those places. There are narratives in your sphere of influence that need to be rewritten because of what you carry in there. This is in your notes, and you can ignore what I'm saying for the next three minutes if you want to answer this question and think about this. Where are your spheres of influence? And I want you to think about it. I want you to write it down. What's, the, what's one of your spheres of influence? I've talked a lot about work, but everyone has a sphere of influence. If you're a stay-at-home mom, if you're working remotely, if you're a student, everyone has a sphere of influence. And I want you to take some time and think, where's my sphere of influence? Who's my Scott? Who's the plumber that cusses me out? You might not have that. Verse 15, it says, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so of love, with love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motive or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Now, this is foreign to us, but it seems like Christians were like having problems with other Christians, so just try to imagine what that might be like today. It doesn't happen anymore, praise God. But Paul is saying, hey, there's some other guys that are actually preaching Christ. They've seen that I've gained influence. When you kind of dig into what was going on, Paul had gained influence. Other people had said, I want that, and so they were both stirring up trouble that potentially actually kept him in prison longer. They were stirring up trouble, and they started preaching the gospel because they saw the fame that Paul was getting. And, uh, and so Paul said, hey, again, it's not an opposition, it's an opportunity. These guys that would not normally be sharing the message of Jesus in this city, these guys are actually doing the work for me. He says, this is a kingdom win. Again, Paul was living so open-handed to what God was doing. He wasn't complaining. He didn't complain that these guys were actually keeping him in a place he didn't want to be longer than he had to be there. But he said, no, 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 this This is what it's all about. He lived open-handed in a way that I think we could learn from. He said, there are preferences that I have. I'm sure he preferred to get out of house arrest. I'm sure he preferred to have a better reputation as these guys were slandering him. But he said, look, I am so open-handed. I'm all about what the kingdom needs. I'm all about what the furthering of the gospel would require. And uh, and I, (laughs) I became like, a premium member at our bank at Chase like a year ago, I can't even lay down my rights there. We, uh, planting a church is really expensive, FYI. Um, and we owe a lot to a lot of different people that have like given to get this thing off the ground. But we have such a small credit card limit. <laughs> it is hilarious. And three, and we're spending so much money. I mean, we have to buy this and buy that. And oh, we forgot to pay for this. And I'm logging in four times a week on Chase to pay off our credit card because they won't get it bigger. And I called them one time after like being handed off four different ways. I was like, hey, look, you know, I hate to bring this up, but there's certain things that I have like rights to because I'm a, I'm a premium member. I'm a, I'm a private client. And they said, oh, Mr. Marlin, we had no idea. Yeah, we still can't raise that for you. <laughs> and so for the foreseeable future, four times a week, I log into Chase and I pay off that credit card. 
because they won't extend it. So, and I was thinking, when I was thinking about what rights am I having a hard time laying down, I can't even lay down my rights to be a premium member at a bank. How much harder is it to lay down things that actually matter to me, that actually matter to you, for the sake of the gospel? Because there are so many illustrations that I'm sure you can think of where it's like, oh man, that's just silly. It's silly what culture has communicated we are entitled to. It's silly some of the things that we grab on tighter and tighter and tighter. What am I willing to lay down for the kingdom? I'd say that'd be a big question over the next four weeks. What are the things that Jesus might be asking? And you're, maybe you're allowed to do them. It's not illegal. Actually, culture would say you should be doing them. You should be watching that. You should be buying that. What are the things, though, that Jesus might say differently? Where are the areas or what are the things that Jesus might say, hey, it's not just about getting out of hell. It's actually about following me and there's greater life in that. What are some things that you're willing to lay down for the kingdom? Are you willing to lay down the way that you use your home and invite people in? The way that you spend your time, probably your most precious resource, or your money? Are you willing to lay down how you spend your money? Are you willing to lay down, and this might not be applicable to many of us, but your kids or their sports and all the things you've got to run them to? Are you willing to lay down the reputation that you have or the vacation you want to take or the preferences or a relationship or selfish ambition or pride or that grudge that you've held for way too long? What are the things, and and we're going to take some time at the end, I want to ask that question because the answer is not universal for us. Each of us have different things that Jesus might be beckoning us to go just a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. Because you can't lay something down with fists. This just is not, that's a good word. It's a good word. You can't lay something down with fists. This is maybe the way that culture has encouraged us to look, but you can't do that when you're in some kind of like fighting position. You can't do that with, when you're gripping things tighter. You can't lay things down with fists. And Jesus would say, hey, more and more and more and more. And Paul goes on to say, hey, I want you to pray for my deliverance, but not in the way that you would expect. He said, look, whether I die or whether I live, whether I get out or whether I don't, I just want you to pray that I'll have courage to continue on in the gospel. And he says that really famous line from Philippians. He says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Can you imagine what it takes to get to that place? I can't because I can't let go of my bank status. (laughs) But can you imagine what it takes to get to a place where you say, yeah, living, dying, prison, not prison, whatever it takes to follow Jesus. I am so all in for whatever Jesus would ask. Uh, My favorite verse, and we're going to end with just verse 27 and then 28, 29. He says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. And then 29, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. And so what's going on is they're in Europe, and this is Roman control, and all, all Caesars were pretty bad to Christians, but there was one who was easily the worst. His name is Nero, and he just sounds evil. And, uh, and so this is the guy that's in power right now. Nero's in power. And so there's starting to be some like suffering, some persecution happening in Philippi. And Paul, of all people, writes, hey, I know what it's like. I absolutely get it. I want you to stay strong. Actually, it's not even just something I need you to suffer through. It's actually been granted to you. He says, this suffering has been granted to you. And that word granted in the Greek, it's the same noun 
as a grace. And so Paul's saying, look, it is a grace to suffer for Jesus. <laughs> what the heck? It is a, a grace actually to suffer. And spoiler alert in Philippians 3, he says, Paul says, I want to know Christ, but I don't want to just know him for like the butterflies. He says, I want to know Christ and I want to participate in his sufferings. And I know, great opening series. There's a new guy next week. He's going to probably not talk so much about suffering. <laughs> uh, but Paul, can you imagine the mindset that it takes to get, hey, whatever it takes, and it's a grace for you to suffer with Jesus. And I'm not there. I am not there, but I want to ask the question for us this morning. How do we get there? What are the things that we can just start? We're not going to start by saying, yeah, put me in jail. And I don't think that's going to be your option this week. Hopefully not. But what are the things that we can say, yeah, I'll lay that down for the kingdom. What are the things we don't need to watch? We don't need to buy. We don't need to do. We don't need to act that way. We don't need to think. What are the ways that we can say, yeah, more and more and more of the kingdom and less and less and less of my preferences? What are the things that we can start to open our hands on? Because the temptation is going to be that we grip tighter and tighter and tighter. But I think the encouragement from Paul here in Philippians 1 and the encouragement from Jesus would be, no, no, no. I want you to get as open-handed as possible. I want you to hold as few things tightly other than the things that would further my kingdom. And Paul says this, and I love this phrase. Um, it's probably my favorite verse in this chapter. He says, I want you to live in a way, uh, in a way, uh, in a manner worthy of the gospel. And uh, has anybody seen Saving Private Ryan? Yeah? I'm going to spoil it for you, but it came out in 1999, so <laughs> you've had time, and probably after you guys were born. <laughs> um, great movie. You need to watch it. Uh, there are two main characters that I'll talk about. There's Matt Damon, who is Private Ryan, and there's Captain Miller, who is Tom Hanks. And the whole premise of the movie is they're trying to find Private Ryan, and uh, because all of the, the rest of his brothers had died in the war, and, uh, and high up in the army they said, we can't let a mom, I think it's five, we can't let a mom lose all five of her sons. And so they had to get in the heart of the battle. How do we get to Private Ryan? How do we get him out? Because we can't let one family's legacy be lost totally in this war. And so the whole movie is Tom Hanks and a bunch of his guys, a bunch of the people that he's over. I mean, they're getting shot at. They're losing their lives. It's hard to watch, actually, at some points because it's so intense. And at the very end, they finally get to Private Ryan. And, uh, and he, Tom Hanks, Captain Miller, has lost some men. Uh, and he's actually fatally wounded, and he pulls Matt Damon close, Private Ryan close, and he says, son, earn this. And, and I was watching it this morning. I guess it's the second time I've cried. I had to hold it back this morning because I'm watching it this morning just to be refreshed, and Catherine's getting ready, and I'm trying to act like I'm just watching a trailer for the fun of it. But uh, <laughs> I'm watching it, and he pulls Matt Damon close, and he says, son, earn this. And then it fast-forwards to 50 years later, Private Ryan is at Arlington Seminary, and he's at Captain Miller's gravesite. And he's there with his wife, and he says, tell me I'm a good man. He says, tell me, tell me that I've lived a good life. And his wife says, yeah, of, cor of course you have. And he's thinking back to that thing that Tom Hanks said. And the reality is, whether he lived a good life or he didn't, Captain Miller's still dead. Or if he lived a good life, Captain Miller doesn't come back from the dead. But he wanted to know that he'd lived up to something that had already been done for him. And there's not a more, and maybe you watch more artistic movies than me. You probably do, honestly. <laughs> but I can't think of a more clear picture that I've seen of the gospel where Jesus or Paul through these words would say, I want you to live up to this. 
Live, uh, live your life worthy of what's already been done for you. And Jesus won't love you less if you don't do anything else. If you go off and say, that's fine, I'll just do whatever I want. Jesus won't love you less. So yeah, the outcome's already there. He loves you and he's already died for you. He's not going to die again. In the same way, if we live really good lives, he's not going to come back to life again. So it's already been done for you, but that should be the motivation. And that's the reason that we would say, oh, we live open-handed because he's already been doing this for us. He's already done this, so now we can live in light of that. And that's the most convicting way for me to change my life. Not because I want to try to earn something. Every other religion would say, be a good person so you can get there. Jesus, or even Saving Private Ryan, would say, no, we live a good life because the sacrifice has already been done and it's complete, but we want to live in a manner worthy of what's already been done. So we'll have the band come down. And I want to end with that thought. If he's called us to already live that way, then what are the things? What are the simple things? It can be really, really simple. But what are the things that we can just start to open our hands a little bit more and a little bit more? And it's a new church, so I know it's, we don't have like a standard for how we respond, but I want to take advantage of like this really wide area up front. And uh, if you'd feel called, I want you to come up front in a number of ways. Uh, we have the Lord's table here, which is the best way I can think of to remember the suffering and the sacrifice of Jesus, where we remember that his body and his blood were broken and spilled for us. But also you can just kneel up here and uh, you can pray. There'll be people that could pray with you. Um, you get to choose how you respond, but I want to answer that question. What are the preferences? What are the rights? What are the things I'm gripping onto that I want to slowly start to open? Where are the areas in the kingdom that we want to start to slowly move into because he's worth it? So, Father, thank you, Jesus, that you are so worthy. You are worthy of our life change. And you don't require it to give us love, but you call us into it because of what you've already done. And so we say yes to that. And God, right now, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you speak to each of us? We all have different things I know that we have to lay down. And so what are those things? Speak to us now.